You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. It's great to see all of you gathered to worship our God this afternoon. You know, this summer here at City Church, we've been talking about summer road trips. And we've been using the summer road trip as a metaphor to understand a section in Luke's gospel where Jesus is essentially going on a road trip with his disciples. He's on his way to Jerusalem where he'll eventually die. But along the way, he is doing a lot of things and teaching a lot of things to his disciples. So we've been using this metaphor a little bit. I spent all day yesterday in a car driving back from southern New York where my daughter had spent a couple weeks at camp. And so I was thinking a lot about road trips, 450 miles of road trip yesterday. Um, But, you know, there's an aspect of the road trip that we haven't really talked about this summer. And it's not being the one on the road trip, but being the one at home or at the destination waiting for people to arrive from a road trip. You know what that feeling is like? How you prepare, how you get the house ready, how anticipation builds as you're waiting for someone to arrive or someone to get back home. And And I want you to think about what that feeling is like, and for some of you this will be a challenge because I want you to think about it before cell phones, right? I'm dating myself here. But that's where you really enter into the anticipation and the readiness of someone arriving from a trip where you don't have uh, them texting you constantly, giving you updates on when they're going to arrive, where you don't have find my friends to see that little blue dot getting closer and closer, where you don't have ways and an ETA that comes to you periodically updated based on traffic. You know, in the old days, when I was a kid, it was like, they're going to get here today. And you've got to be ready sometime today. Your, your guests, your anticipated friends are going to walk in. Uh, this is especially the case in, in my family because my parents don't believe in a lot of communication. Um, and so I remember a few times where we knew they were going to arrive that day and I would get a frantic phone call from my wife and it would say, your parents are here which meant time for you to get home because I'm not entertaining them alone, right? What does, it, what does it mean to be ready and to stay ready on a trip like this? When I was a kid, I feel like I learned how to, to be ready and how to expect someone, um, partly through uh, going to an early morning Bible study that I was picked up for. This was before I could drive, and someone said, hey, I'm going to pick you up at 6.30. And so I would get myself up before anyone else in my house was uh, awake, and I would, I remember staring out the, the window by our door down our long driveway. It was about a quarter mile driveway, and so I could see the headlights come. I wanted to be ready so they didn't have to walk up to the door and ring the doorbell and wake up my whole house. And sometimes I would even get ready. I would get dressed, and I'd be so tired, I would get back in bed underneath the covers. You ever done that, right? I wanted to be ready so I could pop right up as soon as I heard the wheels on the drive, right? This posture of being ready and staying ready. And and what we'll see today is that it has a spiritual application. 
been talking about being ready for someone arriving for a road trip, but this is a posture of life that Jesus says we ought to have towards him. Are we ready for Jesus to return? Are we ready and are we staying ready for Jesus' arrival back on earth? In order to look at this, Let's read some scripture together. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 12. So if you have brought a Bible with you today, open up to Luke 12. And I'm going to read starting at verse 35 through verse 48. These verses are also printed in the worship guide. You're welcome to follow along there. But however you're reading this, give your attention to it because it's God's word for us. Here's what it says. Jesus is speaking. He says, stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household? to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that master says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Every one to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, They will demand the more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Gracious Father, today we acknowledge that just as the rain comes down from heaven and waters the earth, so your word comes down to our minds and to our hearts and causes growth and understanding and righteousness and holiness. We ask that by the power of your spirit, you would do that work by the power of your word today in us for our good, and for the glory of your name. Amen. So today I want to talk about what Jesus teaches in this passage, that he says, be ready, and I want us to talk about how we can be ready in light of what Jesus teaches us. The summary of this section of Luke's gospel is pretty straightforward. It's pretty simple. It's just be ready. As I've said before, be ready and stay ready. Verse 40 summarizes this idea for us pretty clearly. The end of the first paragraph, Jesus says, You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Be ready. 
And Jesus explains this in a few different ways. He uses several images to tell us about being ready. The first one, in the very first verse, verse 35, he says, stay dressed for action, which sounds maybe like instruction before you go out to the club, right? Stay dressed for action. But uh, literally, the Greek here, and maybe you have a little note in your Bible that says this, uh, it explains, it says, may your loins be girded, or gird up your loins. Like I said, sounds like going to the club. Um, no, we, we have no idea what that means, right? Wait, no, one, no one here has girded their loins in a long, long time. Uh, and and he, what this points out to us, these, Jesus is using these images about being ready, but they don't resonate with us because uh, our society is different from when Jesus was living and with his disciples. But fortunately, the internet exists, and it will tell you what it means to gird your loins. And I wish I were wearing a toga today because then I could really show you a demonstration, but I'll, I'll act out essentially what this is. So in the day, you know, they wore essentially togas or at least long flowing robes. And so to gird your loin, um, to, to be dressed for action, meant that with these long robes, you, you couldn't really run or you couldn't do manual labor the way you might need to. And so you would take your, your long robes and the first thing you would do is you would sort of hike them up, Right? Hike up your, your, your robes. And then you would gather the material in front of you, and then you would put it through your legs, and then you would grab it in the back like this. So you've hiked up your, your skirt, essentially. And then you would take the extra material and wrap it around your front and tie it. And then your loins were girded. You were dressed and ready for action. You could go about your day. If you don't believe me, you can Google it for yourself. There are helpful like infographics online where I learned all of that. So he says, stay dressed for action. That's the first um, metaphor that Jesus uses. But then he goes on to say, uh, keep your lamps burning. And again, this doesn't resonate a whole lot with us. The closest in our day, and again, I'll date myself a little bit. When I was growing up, there was an old Motel 6 ad, and the tagline was, we'll keep the light on for you. That's the idea here. We'll keep the lamp burning. We'll, we'll turn on a light. So this is if you, you go away or you're expecting someone who's going to arrive at night and you turn on the porch light. Or you know someone's going to be getting home late and so you leave a light on in the kitchen above the stove. It's that idea. Keep the light burning. Or when I was growing up, uh, I grew up in Massachusetts and we had this wood-burning stove that heated our whole house. And, but overnight you had to feed the stove so that it didn't go out by morning time otherwise it'd be really cold in the house it's that same idea of keep the stove burning keep the lamp burning it's a metaphor of readiness they didn't have lights that they could just switch on they had to keep their lamp filled with oil they had to keep the wick trimmed so that it didn't go out be ready the third metaphor that Jesus is u- uses again in just these opening sentences is he says, uh, be like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding feast. These are servants in the house and their whole job is to attend to the master and he's gone away to a wedding feast. And as Marty said a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about a different part of scripture, he told us that these wedding feasts could last for days, sometimes even a week. And, and that helps us understand what Jesus is saying here. Be like servants waiting for their master to return. They don't have cell phones. 
the, the wedding doesn't have an end time of 10 p.m. and you know they're going to be home exactly at 10.30. Be ready for whenever the master gets back and stay ready. And finally, the last uh, illustration that Jesus is u- uses, again, all along the same point, is you must stay awake. You must be a servant who doesn't fall asleep in the second watch or the third watch. That is, at midnight or between midnight and 3 a.m. and sort of those darkest, quietest hours in the morning, you need to stay awake. This one resonates with me because I'm terrible at this. When I first started babysitting when I was in high school, I I still remember uh, the, the parents went away and I fell asleep on the couch. And they came home and they woke me up. And I felt like I had failed as a babysitter. I was never asked back to, to babysit at that house. But I was just so tired. And even now in, in my house, when my, my kids go out and they stay out later than I do, it's my wife who stays up to make sure they get home okay because I'm passed out by well before they get home, right? Stay awake. Stay ready, Jesus is saying in this passage. Don't let the master find you sleeping on the job. And notice what Jesus says to summarize these different descriptions of men and women who stay ready. He says, blessed are they. This is another beatitude. You know the beatitudes in Matthew. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Jesus is saying, blessed are the ready. And uh, a few years ago, we talked about the beatitudes in Luke. And I said that these are kind of the formula or the recipe for the good life. What Jesus is saying is, if you want to know what the good life is, be ready and stay ready for Jesus. That's the good life. That's the path that you should walk on. All right, so it's this simple message that Jesus has in this section of Luke 12. Be ready and stay ready. What's the problem? Well, I think we have a couple of problems, specifically us in our day and age. And the first, I think, is an existential problem. Existentially, we are not good at being ready or staying ready. Because being ready and staying ready requires constant attention. And that, for us, is in short supply. About uh, 10 or 12 years ago, I had uh, a few seasons where I coached t-ball. There's nothing more sanctifying than coaching t-ball. You've got a bunch of five-year-olds who, for the first time in their lives, are doing an organized sport, and it's baseball, and baseball has a lot of rules, and it's kind of boring. And I, I was not much of a baseball player, so I didn't have a whole lot to bring to the table with t-ball. Fortunately, it's just a ball on a tee, so there's not a whole lot you have to do. But the only thing I remember yelling at the kids, and I yelled it constantly, ready position, right? I knew the ready position. Someone had taught me the ready position, which is, you know, you have your glove, and you kind of get in a crouch, and you just stand there ready for the ball to be hit because then you can move either side you can scoop it and throw that ball to first do what you want so I would just tell the team out there in the field ready position ready position meanwhile you know you got kids just kind of wandering around spinning picking little flowers of grass literally kids setting their gloves down and like going to sleep for a little bit ready position it's a it's a funny illustration right but isn't that you and me, how distracted we become, how led away from readiness and the readiness to Jesus' return you and I are. 
I think spiritually and existentially, we need that voice of Jesus calling to us ready position. We simply don't live our lives ready for Jesus' return. And in fact, I know it's, it's been interrupted a little bit because we've had some guest preachers who haven't preached from Luke 12, but if you go back to the previous two sections, it shows what distracts us from readiness. Harrison preached around anxiety. And before that, I talked about covetousness, greed. We aren't ready for the return of Jesus Christ because our attention has been taken by anxiety and covetousness. You know, as a staff this week, we were talking a little bit, we were trying to come up with, are there some contemporary examples of what readiness looks like? I thought Catherine had the best one. She said, well, readiness, we've seen it this summer with uh, the Taylor Swift tour. Right? There have been some Taylors, some Swifties who have been ready for these concerts. And they have spent weeks and months getting ready, getting their outfits ready, planning their trips, being ready to go to that Taylor Swift concert. We need to change the metaphor around a little bit. It would be as if Taylor Swift were coming to your city, not that you were going to Nashville or you were on your way to Philly or wherever you were lucky enough to secure tickets, right? But she was going to come here to Richmond, but you didn't know when. Be ready. And stay ready. you got to have those sequins ready to go when she shows up. Right? This passage in Luke's gospel is the same type of readiness. Just fewer sequins. That's all. So existentially, I don't think we have the attention to be ready and to stay ready. But I think there's another problem, a deeper problem for us too. There's a theological problem that we, a lot of us, encounter around readiness. Let me explain. I think this theological problem makes it so that we're not good at being ready. Not because readiness requires our attention, but because readiness requires action. And I think a lot of us get squirrely theologically when it comes to action. Spiritual action. You know, we read earlier in the service this great question and answer from the Heidelberg Catechism. And it, it basically says that how, do we, how are we right with God? And it says it comes all as a gift. The mere grace of God and all we have to do is believe. And it's this beautiful summary. You should go back and read it later tonight. It's this beautiful summary of the true gospel of grace. What we didn't read is question 64, which comes a little bit later. And it asks this. But doesn't this teaching, this teaching about grace, doesn't this teaching make people indifferent and wicked? Here's the answer. It's impossible for those grafted into Christ by true faith not to produce fruits of gratitude. Right? It's, it's saying, yes, it's all of grace. And when grace really works in your heart, in your life, it produces fruits of gratitude. It's impossible for it not to do that. And friends, readiness is a fruit of gratitude. When we know that we have received God's grace, then we respond with readiness. A readiness for his return. And a readiness that we'll come to understand a little bit more through the rest of the passage. What I want you to take away here is that readiness 
is the posture of faithful response to God's grace. It's not anti-gospel. It's not less than gospel. It is part of the gospel. Our readiness, like the servants waiting for their master to come home, flows out of God's grace to us. All right, with that said, I want to spend the rest of our time talking a little bit about how we can be ready, which Jesus does in this second paragraph. So the first, the first point is be ready and stay ready, and you're asking yourself, well, how? How do I do that? Well, fortunately, Jesus tells us. And it starts in verse 41 with this question that Peter asks. He says, Lord, are you telling this parable for us, meaning the disciples, kind of the key leaders that Jesus has appointed, or for all? And, and Jesus, in classic form, doesn't really answer Peter's question, but we know from the rest of what he says that his focus is on the leaders, but it's a message for all. So he's going to tell us how to be ready, and there's a special point for those of you who have leadership in God's church and Christian community. You must stay ready, but it applies for all of you, so don't tune out. Lean in and pay attention to what Jesus has for you here. Because what he does in this second paragraph is he begins to unspool the example that he's already given about servants who stay ready for the master. And he does this by listing out four different types of servant. Okay, he, sometimes he refers to them as managers. They're, they're sort of stewards in the house. They're like the chief servants. They're the right-hand man to the master. They're the executive assistant. And he lists four different types. The first is the faithful servant. You see this in verse 42 and 43. And again, he uses this beatitude language. He says, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Who is faithful? The word there is pistis. One who is full of faith in God and faithful to God. You see, this, is a, this blessing that comes from God is both a gift and a calling. You've received grace, and so you need to live in line with that grace. Be faithful. So he lists that servant, and then he lists three unfaithful servants. And they're all kind of variations on a theme, but the first is the blatantly disobedient servant. We see this in verses 45 and 46. But if that servant says to himself, and so this story is going to be one chapter in the book that I haven't written yet about the danger whenever anyone in the Gospels speaks to themselves. is the danger of self-talk, right? It's, it's that internal monologue that displaces God's voice in our lives. The master, the, this master says to himself, the servant says to himself, and bad things flow from there. Pay attention to your self-talk, especially if it's crowding out the true word of God. This blatantly disobedient servant is one who turns his back on Jesus. He says to himself, my master is delayed. This is the person who says, well, Jesus hasn't come back, and it's been a long time, and I'm starting to wonder if he'll ever come back. It's a way to move Jesus out of the equation, to push him further to the periphery of our lives, to dismiss him out of hand. Where are you doing that? Where are you prone to say that? Oh, Jesus isn't coming back, not in my lifetime. 
And do you see where this attitude, this self-talk leads? The next verse tells us very clearly. It leads, number one, to mistreatment of others. He beats the male and female servants. And secondly, it leads to debauchery. Let me eat and drink. Let me throw a party because the master is delayed and he's probably not coming back. That's what happens when we begin to dismiss Jesus and his word from our lives. When we push it away and distance him more and more, we end up injuring others and we end up pursuing pleasure for ourselves. And those two things are signs of unfaithfulness. The very opposite of what the faithful servant would do. The next two sort of unfaithful servants, again, are variations on this theme. We have the consciously disobedient. This is one who knew that the master would be coming back, knew what he ought to do, and chose not to do it. I think this is essentially laziness. This isn't this blatant dismissal and disowning of Jesus, but this is just laziness. I knew what to do, but I I just didn't do it. And then the last category is the ignorantly disobedient. Right? This is the, the, the servant who really didn't know, didn't know any better. And if you're here today and you hear my voice, you can't fit in that category anymore because you know. You know what God has said. You know that Jesus, the master, is returning. And he expects you to be ready and to stay ready. And the point that Jesus is telling here is that uh, there are consequences to your faithfulness or unfaithfulness. There will be judgment. There will be punishment. And it's not unfair because it's graded based on what you have known. What you have had the opportunity to do. Rather than focusing and getting lost on kind of, I know this language is strange about the the, the way these servants will be beaten or cast out with the unfaithful. Pay less attention to that. Pay more attention to the fact that you have heard. You know what the faithful action is, and what will you do? So let me end by trying to get a little bit more practical about how we can be ready, what it looks like for us to be ready. And here's the key point. Here's the biggest takeaway, I think, that readiness for the return of Jesus looks both to God and to other people. You know, I I bet coming in here today, your thoughts were only about towards God. Well, if I have to be ready for Jesus' return, well, I've got to do stuff in my relationship to God. And that's part of it. There's an attentiveness to God and his truth and his word and his grace. Absolutely. Remind yourself of those things, but don't lose the fact that part of what it means to be ready is to act in love and kindness towards other people. Notice in this metaphor what Jesus keeps saying. He says, serve in the house. Serve in the household of God. He says, give food to others at the proper time. You see, Jesus' return is not about staring up into the sky. It is about serving others at a table. It is about hospitality. It is about offering them food. And here, metaphorically, the food that we are meant to offer is the word of God, the word of Jesus, his truth, his hope, his grace. So, 
In light of that, if being ready for Jesus' return means serving in the house of God and serving other people, what is your house? What is your table where you can demonstrate your readiness by your faithfulness to other of God's children? It says in 2 Timothy, Paul writing there to his young protege, he says, be ready in season and out of season. And the context there is be ready with the word of God. Be ready to speak a word of exhortation. Be ready to speak encouragement. Be ready to apply the scripture to the heartache and hurt and harm that the people around you have felt. Are you ready to do that? You see, your readiness is not just the quality or depth of your Bible study or your prayer life. It's how you take God's word and apply that in love and care to the people who need it most. That's what Jesus is teaching us about readiness. You know, as I was thinking about this passage yesterday on a 10-hour drive back from southern New York, it struck me that we have another great example of what it means to be faithful and ready for return. And it comes just a few chapters forward in Luke's gospel. The more I read and study Luke's gospel, the more I see all of his gospel pointing to what I think is the high point of the gospel, if not the high point of scripture itself, which is Luke 15. This masterful parable of the prodigal sons. And think now about that parable that I know many of you are familiar with. And think about the picture of readiness that we're given there. Not in either of the sons who have gone away, but in the father. The father. Who, whose son has gone far and strayed away. And yet every day, he goes out onto the porch. He stands at the hill looking down the long driveway, scanning the horizon, looking for his son. He is ready every day for the return of the prodigal. And what happens on that wonderful day when the prodigal walks the dusty road back home? He says to his servants, kill the fatted calf, throw a party. He sets a table He is ready to give to his entire house. It's the picture of readiness that we're given in Luke 15. And we're given in Luke 12 as well if we have eyes to see. Because in verse 37, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, he, the master, will dress himself for service and have them, the servants, recline at table and he will come and serve them. Did you catch that the first time I read through? Right, these these servants who have been ready and stayed ready for the master's return, that's their whole job. What happens when the master comes back? He flips the script and he serves them. He dons the towel, he gets down on his knees, and he presents food to them. That's a picture of Christ. It's a picture of the Father from Luke 15. It's a picture of the gospel. You see, our readiness is always derivative. It always flows from the fact that God himself is ready for you. Ready with grace. 
That's the first step of your being ready. Be ready, how? By knowing God's grace to you. That he has come for you and died on the cross and that he has promised to come again eschatologically in the last day to finish all that he started. Our readiness is sustained by our hope and God's grace for us. But don't miss the point of this passage either. What verse 40 says, what I emphasize from the very beginning, you must be ready. Knowing that God is ready in grace towards you, you must be ready and stay ready because he's coming at an hour that none of us know. You will be surprised at Jesus' return. So be ready. And what does that look like? It looks like waiting at table. It looks like serving others. It means giving the word of God to those who need it most. A week or two ago, I read uh, an example that I'll end with. Uh, This was in a little article in Christianity Today, and it was written by a Bible teacher named Jen Wilkin. And the point of her article was something else, but at the very end of this article, she, she described a habit that they have in their family, especially when they're having guests over. And they have a little signal for it, and it stands for uh, FHB, Family Hang Back. It means when the meal is served and everyone's crowding around to get firsts, she gives a little nod of the head or a little signal with her hand, and her kids step back. They say, we're going to let others eat first. And then if there's more left over, we can eat. Or once they leave, we'll order a pizza and we'll have our own. Family hang back. It's a readiness. It's a culture of readiness in their family to serve. And it shows that they are ready and they're staying ready. Because the greatest example of that, the greatest uh, sign of that is our willingness to serve others, knowing that our God has served us. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for the richness of your word. We pray that its truth would puncture through uh, all the lies that we believe and that we're trained to believe, habituated to believe by this culture we live in. Help us to know the great hope of heaven and rather than being a people who just uh, gather together and stare up into the sky wondering at what day you will return, help us to get busy, uh, to exhibit lives filled with action, demonstrating every day that we are ready for your return through our service of others. We pray this for our good and for the glory of your name. Amen.